the, it's not just about the, the practical side of the moment. It's actually also about the spiritual side. Like you have to have faith that, that where you are is exactly where you need to be. And I really do tend to believe that entrepreneurship is like 50, 50, you know, 50, 50 of the practical doing the numbers, doing the work. And then the other 50% is like, you have to have faith. You have to have confidence in what you're doing and why you're where you are. Because I promise you, like, even when I think about pluck, I had, there were so many moments along the road where before I had this idea of pluck, where I was looking for work in Portland. So you have to remember, I moved from Los Angeles where I was like known in the business. I had, I had people calling me for work probably every, almost every other day, definitely every week. And I was, I was known in that community. I was desired in that community. And then I moved to Portland, which has a totally different mindset around money and finances. So right away, like my worth went down because people here didn't see the value of paying as much as people in LA were paying me. And then of course the options for work were not there. So I, I spent, I think a year trying to find work in Portland as a private chef, as an executive chef, as something. And I got turned down every which way. Welcome to the Anthropology Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Walker. As a former naturopathic doctor and anthropologist, I align the intersection of personal performance, purpose, and innovative thinking in badass women working to change the world as entrepreneurs and go-getters. Anthropology is the study and science of what makes an entrepreneur think feel, and perform in a path compelled by a vision for helping others, solving problems, while building a life on your own terms. Together, we are exploring the health, mindset, and strategies that distinguish the world's best entrepreneurs. This is the Anthropology Podcast. Welcome to episode 230 of the Anthropology Podcast. And I'm going to just start with a question for all of you because I've been contemplating this one for a while. What do organ meat, entrepreneurship, and George Clooney have in common? If you're stumped on that, I am here to help you out. In fact, the thing they all have in common is actually my next guest. James Berry is an executive chef. He's been an executive chef to celebrities the likes of uh, George Clooney, including George Clooney. You will find out later in this episode that I got a little, I got a little hung up on that uh, piece, but super exciting. He's had this incredible career, and I said to him that his journey actually read like the back of an incredibly compelling memoir because we talk about the limiting beliefs the path less traveled how we actually make it matter as an entrepreneur how to get skin in the game why all these things are just so relevant to our journey as an entrepreneur and then we talk about how James made a shift in his career going from being this celebrity chef the chef to celebrities and creating a product that he really believes and I actually really believe I think it's amazing that can revolutionize health and it's not about us having to do more things in our day. It's about how do we stack a new habit on top of something we are already doing multiple times a day, which is eat. This was a fascinating conversation about the life of an entrepreneur and how we innovate a product, how we find our purpose and how we take things to the next level. I'm super excited to give you the opportunity to get to know James Berry. James Berry, welcome to the Anthropology Podcast. Thank you for having me, Megan. I'm super excited to be here. 
Well, it's such a pleasure to have you. And now that we've gotten all of our our pleasantries out of the way before we came on, we realized we have all these, you know, random connections behind <laughs> behind the scenes, which I find is always so fun um, when you have guests and you have the opportunity to meet uh, new people. But I, I'm looking forward to this conversation because I am immensely interested in the intersection of health and entrepreneurship. And you have an incredible story and product and business um, that I think is so emblematic of that uh, of that coming together. I'm wondering, James, if we can start off by you sharing with my listeners a little bit about uh, your background and how we came to be where we are today, um, which is where you're at with Pluck. Yeah. So, you know, my, my journey probably started when I was about seven and I learned to scramble an egg. It was really, I don't know, it just, I took to it. And from that moment on, I really was hungry to learn about cooking um, I took a culinary class in middle school um, and I loved it so much. I, I wasn't, I was like kind of like a, you know, BC student. And when I took culinary class, I was an A plus, I was like an A plus plus student. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I excelled and to the point where my mom even asked the school, can he take this class twice in a day? Like, can he take, or I guess in a week, like, can he take it after school and during school? Um, and I did, and, and they let me, and I just, I loved it. But for some reason, at that age, at this, whatever age you are in middle school, I think 10 or 12 or something like that, I thought that cooking was something that you had to own a restaurant to do. And and so I was in, at that age, for some reason, I'm like, oh, I'm a family man, so I can't... Um, I can't become a chef because I don't want to work nights. That's what I was thinking at the age of 12 for some reason. So from that age on, I saw it as a hobby. And so I just, I just took to it as a hobby and I just enjoyed learning. And it wasn't until nine 11 when that happened, which is, I guess, kind of like the Pearl Harbor of our generation. Like when that happened, it made me relook at everything I was doing. And I, I kind of audited my life and I was like, okay, what am I doing that has heart? What am I doing that doesn't have heart? And I only, from that moment on, I only embraced the things that had heart. And that's when I went to culinary school and I went to a school in New York and I specifically chose the school because I knew I didn't want to own a restaurant. I knew I didn't want to go down that route, which is what most culinary institutes focus on. I knew that I want, I was living in Los Angeles at the time. So for me to go to the school, I had to move to New York for a time, but I knew that it was going to be moving back to Los Angeles. I knew I wanted to be a private chef. I knew that that was the world I wanted to get involved in. And this school was very much known for that. And so I went, I really like, I was in my thirties where some of the people there were just out of high school. So I took it very seriously. I paid for it myself. It was very expensive. And I, I just excelled. Like I did everything and anything they gave me and, uh, the school responded in kind. So when I got out of school and they got, you know, people calling, you know, do you, do you have a chef in LA that can cook for me? Or they referred me left and right. So that school more than paid for itself. Cause I had, I got so much work as referrals out of, out of school. I built this amazing resume. I cooked for celebrities like Tom Cruise. Mariska Hargitay was one of my first clients. Um, I cooked for George Clooney. I cooked for Barbara Streisand. I mean, I just cooked for so many people. It was an amazing, amazing experience. But what happened when I was cooking for these wealthy people 
for lack of a better term, um, I, I felt like I was limiting my offerings. Like I felt like this is not why I'm on this planet. It's just to cook for the wealthy um, and for the privileged or what. And I mean, you know, I think that's all relative because they, they worked hard to get to where they're at. But I just mean that they're in this different status, this different place than most of us. And I realized that this wasn't all of what I wanted to do. Um, my ego loved it, of course, but I think my purpose, my mission was I wanted to help as many people as possible. So I, um, I basically started a meal delivery company. I left my job working for Tom Cruise, a very comfortable, well-paying job. I left that and it ended up being exactly when the recession happened in 2000, um, was that 2007 or Gosh, now I'm forgetting. Yeah, 2007, Yeah, so I left right then. I, of course, I didn't know it was going to be a recession, but it, I think the month after I left, there was, boom, the recession. So I left then, and I started a meal delivery service when there really were not that many. And I was my focus right away was like, I'm not going to be about trends. I'm going to be about what I believe is whole food. You know, like I'm going to be about what's not the trend, you know, what's, what's about just whole foods properly prepared. I was already, um, gluten-free. So I was already focused on gluten-free just because I believed that, that there was, you know, issues going on. I was very tied to health and studying nutrition at the same time. And, um, so I just, I did things before they were Vogue and I built that business from one client to, um, hundreds and I ran it for eight years um, and probably similar to most of the people you have on your podcast, I totally, uh, burned out. Like I just, I worked so hard. I didn't have any investors for this. I didn't even reach out. I didn't even think of doing that. I self-invested, uh, in the company and I just, I, I just burned out. I didn't take care of my health while I was doing it. I didn't, honestly, I didn't really know what I was doing. I, I had a passion. I was really good at cooking, but I didn't truly understand how to run a business. And so I, I had to learn as I went. And it just, after eight years, holy moly, I just, I felt like I had taken about five years off of my life. Um, and so my family, we had just had our, our first child and, um, and we just, my wife and I were starting to feel like, you know, LA wasn't the place we wanted to raise her. And even though both of our businesses were flourishing, um, we decided to leave and we, we landed in Portland, Oregon and I sold my business. Um, and then I, we had our second child and I just, I decided to be a stay at home dad while, while her business was focused on and grew. And, um, I did that for about two years and it was during that time that I really focused on getting my health back. Um, and I really attribute my second daughter to that, you know, really helping me get back in the moment and be present, um, with her and just with myself. And that's when I then got the idea for this new business and, it's, it's a pro food product. It's an organ-based seasoning, and it's the first of its kind. So this is, of course, completely uh, crazy to have a first of its kind in this day and age. It feels like nothing is a first of its kind unless it's synthetically made or something. But, but um, I, I got the idea, and, and I did it differently this time. You know, I, I, I focused on getting investors. I focused on maintaining like a healthy regime while I was doing it, like making sure that my days weren't too long, really building in the health prop, you know, 
perspective into the business. So that was part of the business. And uh, we just launched um, basically January of this year, 2021. I mean, so I sat here as you were talking and I felt like I was writing the back cover of your memoir <laughs> where I was like, if you were looking for a book where we're discussing, you know, limiting beliefs and the path less traveled and really making things matter and purpose and risk and burnout, like we've, we've got it all, we've got <laughs> it all here. We've got all the hallmarks of, you know, an episode of a decade in the life of an entrepreneur. Um, and I, I really appreciate your, your honesty, um, with respect to your, your journey, but there's actually like the one thing that, that really stood out to me. And I feel like as an accelerator, and I'd love for you to comment on this was when you went back to culinary school and you're like, I paid for it myself and I was older than everybody else. And people sometimes ask me, they're like, what do you think? Like, how do I really accelerate my business? And I was like, it has to matter. Like, yeah. it has to matter to the bottom line. You have to have skin in the game. Or need, you're like, your physiology needs to be all in. Can you just comment on the role of it? Like, it really mattered in terms of your entrepreneurial journey. Like, is it as big as I'm making it out to be for you? Because I know it certainly is for me, but it might not be for everyone. No, I think you're dead on. I, I, I think that that's true for everything. I think when you're, you know, diet is a focus, um, when you're, um, when you you have any kind of goal, you have to have skin in the game. I mean, even when I think about exercise, I, I do the best when I am paying for it. So when I'm paying for a gym membership and the same thing went for culinary school, when by paying for that culinary school and it was, it was really, I mean, it was something like at the time it was, I want to say uh, $20,000, you know, but I, I didn't have 20, you know what I mean? That was, yeah. that was a lot of money for me then. And, and I, I mean, you want to hear what I did? You want to talk about skin in the game? So a year, so I knew I was going to go to this culinary school a year before I went. So I had this year to really like build some money and I was substitute teaching in the, uh, the LA unified school district at the time. And I did something that was totally like probably illegal, but, but it was, it was a hole in the system and I was trying to support the kids. So basically the kids didn't have access to like water. They, all the vending machines had sodas and juices. And so I would go to Costco and I would buy bottles of water and I would freeze them because the kids loved having them in ice and then they would melt during the day. And so I would sell them at a dollar each, you know, to the kids to get them this frozen water. And sometimes I did other things like cookies or something like cookies that were a little bit better than what they were selling in their vending machines, a little bit more like, you know, real ingredients, you know, milk, eggs, um, real sugar versus corn syrup, stuff like that. So I literally sold the kids kind of like concessions and um, and I did that for the entire year. And it, it helped move the needle in terms of me, you know, funding my school. And um, <laughs> I just, I laugh about it to this day, you know, just because I became known as like the, the cookie and water guy, you know, at the school. <laughs> I can totally appreciate, I can totally appreciate <laughs> that. I absolutely love it. I want to, I want to ask you a little bit more about this. Um, I'm going to say awakening you had with respect to your purpose. So yeah. You, you weren't just working a cushy job. You were, I mean, you were working for like Tom Cruise and, and George Clooney, like that, that's, that's beyond a cushy job. Like there's just, there's intrigue and, and amazing things and, and all sorts of stuff that I would imagine uh, came with that. And then you had this moment where you're like, this is not me fulfilling my purpose. Like what, what drove that insight in terms of, 
uh, in terms of yourself? Because that that's a big jump for a lot of people. Oh, I mean, and, and I would be lying if I didn't say that I have had days where I where I questioned that decision. You know, I mean, I, during this process, you know, when I, when you have those days that are just like nothing, the mo- the needle is not moving, and 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 I feel like, oh man, is this business gonna? be the success that everyone keeps telling me they think it is. I'm not seeing the numbers change. I'm not, I'm not where I want to be. Any of those kind of feelings of, of hardship, I, you know, where my mind goes is like, oh man, why did I leave the job with Tom Cruise? You know, why did I do this? Why did, why did I, why did I go out on my own when I had security? And, um, and, you know, honestly, I wish I could say like, oh, I have a I have a good answer. Like, this is what made it worth it. But I think in the, whenever you're in the moment, it's hard to see. You know, I think I think Steve Jobs talked about this. You can't you can't connect the dots and, and, unless you're looking backwards. When you're in the moment, you can't. It's hard to connect the dots. It's hard to it's hard to understand why this moment matters. And I think that what I've come to realize is that it's not just about. The, it's not just about the the practical side of the moment. It's actually also about the spiritual side. Like you have to have faith that that where you are is exactly where you need to be. And I really do tend to believe that entrepreneurship is like 50-50, you know, 50-50 of the practical, doing the numbers, doing the work. And then the other 50% is like you have to have faith. You have to have confidence in what you're doing and why you're where you are. Because I promise you, like even when I think about pluck, I had, there were so many moments along the road where before I had this idea of pluck, where I was looking for work in Portland. So you have to remember, I moved from Los Angeles where I was like known in the business. I had, I had people calling me for work probably every, almost every other day, definitely every week. And I was, I was known in that community. I was desired in that community. And then I moved to Portland, which has a totally different mindset around money and finances. So right away, like my worth went down because people here didn't see the value of paying as much as people in LA were paying me. And then of course the options for work were not there. So I, I spent, I think a year trying to find work in Portland as a private chef, as an executive chef, as something. And I got turned down every which way. And, and you, if you looked at my resume, you'd be like, how did you get turned down? Like, how is this possible? You ran your own business. You private chef for all these people. You've had these amazing experiences. And yet people were turning me down because they, they thought I was overqualified and or they thought that I would get bored at the job. They thought I, it's almost like my experiences outweighed the job that I would get bored there and leave. And so I was turned down and I, and I went through I went through periods of where I was actually even trying to create my own work. Like I was trying to solicit businesses to start up their kitchen programs to help them uh, feed their clients. You know, I tried to work with Airbnb, which was a company here. I mean, I tried so many things and I just got the door shut in my face left and right. And absolutely in that moment, I felt like what am I, I'm just, I'm effing up. Like there's just, I can't do anything right. I'm, I'm like, I was depressed. And then if I look at that moment now, I'm like, oh, wait, I wouldn't have pluck. I wouldn't have come up with this idea. I wouldn't be moving the needle in this new way had I gotten any of that work. So now it all makes sense. But in that moment, I mean, it, it felt dire. You know, as you're talking about this, it, it reminds me of this idea that I keep coming back to when, I, when I'm in a moment like that where it's just like, 
you know, I have an idea and I think it's great, and but it's out of context in terms of the of the clientele that I'm trying to pair it with. Um, and it's this idea of what else could this mean? Yeah. Um, and I think you you had you have the most amazing hindsight on this. It really meant that you had had the space and opportunity to um, to do something different and have impact in a different way. And I want to get into pluck and I, I want to talk about why it's so important. Um, but I have a really important, meaningful question I need to ask you first, which is. Is George Clooney really nice? <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned George Clooney. He was probably one of my, like my favorite clients. I, I worked for Gerard Butler too, and he was really great. And Tom actually and I had a great connection. Um, I just got more time with with uh, with George in terms of like when he he and I hung out, we talked. Like we actually we we um, we got to interact and he shared more of his, himself. Like Tom, I just had bits and pieces over the few years I worked for him. Um, but honestly, you know, it's funny when people, when people ask about the clients I work for, they, they always ask, what well, did they treat you well? And it's like, well, honestly, no one treats the chef poorly. You treat your trainer poorly because, you know, you're getting all aggro aggressive and you're like yelling and screaming, <laughs> but you don't treat the person who's cooking your food poorly. You just don't. Because that's just, I think it's just innately, you know, it's inherent to the relationship of someone's cooking my food. I don't want to mess with them. And honestly, you should never mess with the chef when you're eating in a restaurant either, because you don't know what they're going to do behind closed doors. So just don't mess with the person making your food. <laughs> Perfect. This this completely made my day. You've satisfied all, all curiosity I had about uh, George, and I didn't know it was going to get satisfied today. So thank you for that. He uh, really is. He's, he is such a good guy. And I, I got it. I'll tell you this story. So I don't actually tell this story very often. So this is a really cool story. Um, so Obama had just won the his second um, election, his, his second uh, four-year term. It was the night of, of him winning. And I was dropping off food. Uh, this is when George was was involved with Stacy Keebler, who was really who brought me into that relationship. I was originally cooking for her, and then I ended up cooking with him. And I showed up to deliver food, and they actually invited me to hang. They were because George was a huge part of helping to get Obama elected. He he threw the LA um, the LA fundraisers and things like that. So he and he he actually knew Obama, and they were friends. And so when. Um, that night they invited they were just so excited he won right and they invited me in to celebrate with them and so i got to really like hang out and hear stories of george and his, his father was a politician so he shared stories about his father and, and and what he meant you know what george's father meant to george and then while we were talking george gets a text and it is from obama I was that close to the president of the United States. And George was saying, he said to me, he said, I can't believe I'm getting, you know, I can't remember exactly where he's from. I want to say like, he's, I think he's from the Midwest. I I think that's what he said. I just don't remember at this point. But like he said, I can't believe I'm a Midwest boy and I'm getting texted by the president of the United States. And I said, and I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, well, I can't believe I'm next to George Clooney getting texted by the president of the United (laughs) States. (laughs) So that he was just a really kind and generous person and he's he's very similar to how he presents i mean i didn't see him as different than how he presents himself uh, to the public eye he's just a real honest good guy it really uh it really makes me happy when uh amazing people are actually amazing people behind closed doors it it kind of it kind of restores my my faith in the whole in the whole system so i actually really appreciate that yeah 
that story. So let's let's talk about uh, pluck because um, when I when I heard about what you were doing, I was like, this is this is absolutely brilliant. We we really have. Uh, as a global society, we are we have we have starvation and nutrient de- deficits a- across the globe. Uh, we have an excess amount of uh, nutrients, um, well, certainly calories, yeah, calories in a right. standard Western uh, context. But I, you know, I think we'd probably both argue we are nutrient deficient. Yeah, um, and this is what I love about what you are doing is it it really does address both sides of that coin. Can you share with people what pluck is all about? Yeah. So, so to me, organ, organ meats, um, are nature's multivitamin, you know, the, the, they have basically every, every vitamin, A, D, E, A, A, D, B, C, or I'm sorry, A, B, C, D, E, K. Um, they have, uh, essential minerals, uh, potassium, iron, and it, um, it's all minerals that are actually absorbable. So it's all real food-based, non-synthetic minerals that our bodies can recognize and absorb. So they truly are, like when you look at all of the minerals and vitamins, they're actually kind of similar to what's in um, when, when you're taking uh, prenatal vitamins, right? It's kind of similar. You're like, wait a second. So the things that uh, the experts are recommending that you have in your body to create life are also in organ meats. So I look at it and I'm like, well, geez, nature is just delivering us this quality product. And yet for some reason in our modern society has lost the art of eating it and cooking it. Like we just don't do it. And, and it's kind of confusing because throughout history we have, like if you look at your great grandparents, that is what they ate. They ate it at least once a week, probably like definitely once every two weeks, but maybe even once a week. And you talk to any of them, they're like, oh, yeah, we had liver and onions. That was the common. Oh, this is my dad's favorite meal yeah, when I that's, grew up. That's what everyone ate. And, and it has, it is interesting because it has a history of um, organ meats do of where they became sort of tied to wealth. So they were starting to, they, they around before, I guess around World War II, they were looked at as like cheaper food. So a lot of the wealthier people didn't eat them. They stopped eating them because they saw it as like, oh, well, this is almost, I'm, I'm putting words in it, but it's almost like this is beneath me, you know? And so they were really seen as like peasant food because they were cheaper than other cuts of the animal. But then around World War II, the, the uh, government started to get nervous because the protein, the animal protein was getting shipped abroad to the soldiers and they were worried there was going to be a, a, a muscle, you know, animal muscle uh, shortage. And so they actually started a campaign to promote organ meats um, that was federally funded and get people to eat. So that is actually why a lot of our ancestors were eating it, our great grandparents, because around that period, that, that was, it was an absolute campaign to get people to eat and they did it. Like organ meats became in vogue again and people started eating it. And maybe this is the piece I'm not sure of is why did it then go out of vogue? You know, why did we suddenly get this idea that it tastes bad or, you know, all these associations we have. And that's really what I was trying to solve with pluck is. So I saw these limitations. I saw people have this association that organ meats taste bad, which I'll even unpack in a little bit and show you how it's not true. Um, But everyone has these associations. Then we also kind of, lost the art of cooking. We don't know how to cook them. And then the other piece is, okay, there are some people that know they need to eat organ meats, but they're taking it in supplemental form and they forget to take their supplements sometimes. So those are the three pieces I was like, okay, I need to, I want to solve this. 
And the biggest piece is what you already articulated, which is we're a nutrient deficient society, but we have an overabundance of calories. So we're not, we're in a sense, I'm basically saying we're a fat society that's nutrient deficient, right? So you can't say it's because we're not eating enough food. We are eating food or I guess it's all relative if you call it food. Food-ish. Yeah, food-ish, right? The standard American diet is not really food-based. <laughs> um, but so we're eating the calories, but we're not getting the nutrients. And so uh, that's where I started thinking about, well, wait a second. What the supplements are, there's a way to utilize modern technology and yet utilize it in a way that we're not trying to create this new isolated food that we don't understand how the body's going to respond, but actually utilize this modern technology with, you know, ancestral foods like organ meats. And really the modern technology is so we freeze dry them nowadays and freeze drying or dehydrating. Those are the two main sources of, of how they use organ meats and they get it into that powder form. The freeze drying one actually maintains the nutrients, uh, the nutrient density because any heat is going to negatively affect a vitamin or a mineral. And the, freeze drying process is very limited in how much heat and how much how much it de degrades the organ meat so you're getting the a higher nutrient dense profile and it's and it's basically it's shelf stable like you don't you don't have to worry about the texture of the organs or uh, if it's encapsulated you don't even have to worry about the flavor but it's this this technology that's like okay this is available to us and that's when I start thinking but how can I use it in a way that's different than what it's being currently used in the capsulated form. And that's when I started thinking about, well, what do I put in a, in a pate? Well, I put onions, I put garlic, I put um, other herbs, things like that. And I was like, well, why can't those herbs and those, like I can get all that stuff shelf stable as well, you know? So I was like, why don't I combine them in a spice and see what that works? And then it became about a year long process of trying to find the ratios and figure out how to make the organ meats taste good in this spice form. And what I achieved solves all these factors. So what I achieved is that it tastes really good. It's basically tastes like a, like an all purpose spice no different than, you know, Lowry's or, or Old Bay or something. It, um, we actually get compared to Old Bay in terms of flavor a lot, even though I don't have any sugar or any of the bad stuff that they have in theirs. But um, uh, so the flavor is there. It doesn't actually taste like organ meat, but it does have umami, which is a natural flavor that organ meat has, glutamate, which is um, umami is basically found in a lot of packaged food goods. It comes in the form of MSG. But, um, but the organ meats is obviously a natural form of it. So we're getting this umami flavor, which enhances the flavor of all the foods you add it to. So it actually makes everything taste better. You don't even need to ha know how to cook it. Like you just sprinkle it on like salt and pepper. So there's no, there's no learning curve in like, oh, but how, what do I do with this organ meat? I don't, you don't have to defrost organ meat. You don't have to deal with the texture. You just, you can buy McDonald's food and sprinkle it on your McDonald's. And now you're getting the nutrient benefits of organ meat without needing to know how to cook. So but I wouldn't that, that kill you a little bit? I know. Right. I know. <laughs> <laughs> that is not the Instagram post you want to receive. I know. But you know, at the same time, it's like, I, I, I sometimes say it though. I'm like, because I'm really just trying to show people, I'm like, look, you, it's not, you don't have to take a giant leap. Like that's what's so powerful about pluck. And what I really see is kind of the future of food is that we need to think about food. Like if you think about COVID, 
What did COVID show us? Well, it showed us that when emotions are high, we default to our addictions and our comfort foods. And sometimes they're the same thing, right? Uh, alcohol sales went up, baking videos and, and uh, desserts skyrocketed, like all these addictive things went up. And so that tells me like, okay, we're not very good with these new habits. And that's what most health and hacking kind of things are promoting is a new habit. And what I love about pluck, and this was not actually intentional, I think I didn't create this knowing it was going to be this, but I've discovered that it is, is that there is no new habit change. We already season our food with salt and pepper. I'm just saying use pluck instead. And now you're getting nutrients where you were previously not. So there's zero, zero kind of learning curve with it. And then it solves the remembering if you need to take your supplements or not, because you just just use it, have it on your counter or on your table and use it on every meal. And you benefit every time you use it. So the only thing that's disappointing me about all of this (laughs) is that I can't readily access Pluck yet in Canada. So I'm going to need you to keep me abreast of your of your progress in terms of its it's a mass distribution in the Canadian market because um I mean we have the same challenges as our as our friends in the United States, but uh, I love this and I love this idea that you know we're we're already eating multiple times throughout the course of the day. We're not changing that habit. We're not changing necessarily the foods we're eating. We're just adding this element to it. Um it's it's totally brilliant and I'm absolutely intrigued by it thank you yeah and we and just to clarify like we're not available in canadian stores yet but you can we can ship to canada and yes the shipping is more expensive but we're we're um i just say order more and offset the price (laughs) okay so i'm gonna i'm going i'm actually going to do that uh today because i think this is uh i think this is so fantastic and you mentioned before um that cooking organ meat doesn't have to be uh, it doesn't have to taste bad and doesn't have to for me it is this memory of the smell of liver cooking where literally as i say that my face is is changing um can you just give us like cooking organ meat 101 so we can all be in a better position to try something new in the next week oh i'm sorry i i think we we i lost you for a second I said, are you able to provide me with like a cooking organ meat 101 so that we can all give this a try in the next week? Absolutely. So here's my kind of gateway to organ meat. This is this is kind of the steps, because um, I really do believe organ meats. If you're not getting them, them in your diet, you really need to reevaluate what you're eating, because, it, it, you know, we talk about, you know, you're all about entrepreneurship or about and anyone that's an entrepreneur is about moving the needle but also uh, you know being efficient with their finances right so if you look at your finances instead of using the word finance look at your nutritional you know financial uh, reality in that sense of like where your dollars go and what you get from the food that you buy organ meats are are they're they're, they're the most nutrient-dense food on the planet so if you're not getting them in your diet, then you're not spending spending your money very well, in, that, in my opinion, because there's no other foods that are going to give you the nutrients that you're going to get from organ meats. And I'm not saying you should be eating it every day. I think that actually can be dangerous. Um, now, pluck is 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 shaped, you know, like I, I created it so that you could use it every day in terms of the percentage of the organ meats in there. But if you were actually eating whole organ meats daily, then I, w- I would... Uh, 
I would actually second guess that because sometimes there is, there is an idea of getting too much of a good thing. Um, but once a month for organ meats, um, once every two weeks, I think is very, very realistic. Even once a week, if you're, um, if you're inclined, but here's the gateway. So pluck is actually the, is truly the gateway because you don't have to deal with cooking it. You don't have to deal with, uh, the taste. Um, and you could sprinkle it on anything. So that, that to me is the first step if you're, if you're not doing any organ meats. The next step is, and this is what I meant when I said that I can tell you how organ meats don't taste as bad as we associate them is, is that I think people are thinking of liver and liver does have a kind of a metallic taste to it. But instead of going to liver as your first organ meat, go to heart. Heart is more like a muscle, which is closer to the muscle meat we eat. And for example, if you start with chicken hearts, chicken hearts are actually very sweet and you don't need a lot. Just add a little bit to, let's say a stir fry you're doing. And you'll find that actually it, the texture is closer to meat and the flavor is really, really good. Like it truly is good. And it takes on the flavors of whatever you add it to. So I would say start with chicken hearts. And, um, from there, then I would eventually graduate to, um, you can, you could also then extend to the chicken, other gizzards, you know, chicken, liver, kidney, kidney. Those are still very small. So, um, even if you just add a little bit to a stew or a stock, you're not going to get or a broth or anything like that. You're not going to get like a, an overwhelming taste, but when you're ready to then graduate to the kind of the, the, the cow based organs, I would then, um, you could also start with heart. Um, we have a recipe on our site for, um, heart jerky and it's actually really good. And it's, it's from, um, uh, actually a Canadian called the muscle maven. Um, it's from her book, her cookbook called it takes guts. It's a great cookbook for organ meat people who want to put, get organ meats in their uh, diet. Um, but you could do heart, uh, you could do it as a jerky and then also tongue is considered an organ meat. And lately we've been doing tongue. Uh, it, it's a little tongue. I would say do kind of last, but tongue is challenging mostly because of the texture and you have to peel it. And I think a lot of people will be icked out by that. But once you peel it, it's actually, it's really like carnitas. It shreds really easy and it's really good in like tacos and things like that. And it, you don't even think about it, like what it is once you get past that. The is there some part. like amazing food term for tongue? Lengua. 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 Uh-huh. Yeah, that's okay. what, at least that's the, the Mexican term for it. And that's the one you hear the most is lengua. Okay, great. Um, Cause I'll be using the term lengua with lengua. my kids. Yeah, it's kind of sexy it. too, right? Mm-hmm. Lengua. Hey honey, are you making some lengua tonight? <laughs> totally. Totally. Well, we're, we're going to give it a try and I will definitely, uh, I will definitely tag you in these, uh, in these endeavors. I'm absolutely enjoying uh, your story and this conversation, uh, but I do feel like this is a perfect place in the interview to transition to something I call our KPIs or key performance indicators. And just like we have them in our businesses, I believe we have them in how we live our lives as well. So I have a few rapid fire questions coming your way. Great. If you'll indulge. First one for you, James, what is your most recommended book of 2021? Oh man. So, uh, it's, it's one that I, I got turned on to by Bo Eason. Um, it's Stephen Pressfield's the war of art. Absolutely. He talks all about, you know, uh, basically, um, 
it's like breaking through the blocks to win your inner creative battles. That's the tagline, but it's uh, resistance. It's all about resistance. And as I read it, I made aware of how much resistance exists. And, and just to use this as an example, like, let's say you finally have a win, you know, you, you, you know, like, um, like for me, it was when I was starting my business of pluck and I was like, okay, things are, things are just, we're, we're launching, we're about to launch. Everything looks good. I've got the product. Everything is just exactly how I wanted. And then like another job came available all of a sudden. And it was like a really good job. And it was like, oh, this is so interesting. This is the con, you know, this is, mm-hmm. this is the resistance that Stephen Pressfield is talking about that, that there are, you're constantly being, there are things constantly being put in front of you that are going to challenge your passion are going to challenge your vision. And if you waver, then you get sidetracked and then that vision never gets materialized and never gets, um, never gets, uh, never becomes what you envisioned. You know, you become one of those people that's, uh, got, you know, they're, they're juggling way too many balls in the air. You know, you become one of those that the, the kind of FOMO people fear of missing out. Right. And, uh, and it, and I'm, it's just amazing when you start to think like that, it's just truly amazing how many things pop up in your life that are constantly challenging that thing that you said you were going to do. So true. And we see that we see this mindset work all the time. It's like the universe is like, you've acknowledged that you want to have this, this trial and this challenge. We're going to make you, uh, we're going to make you earn it. War of Art has actually been on my on my must read list for a while, but I'm now adding it to my summer reading list. So thank you for that. And it's really easy to read in terms of how he he formatted it. And it's one of those books that even though it might seem like it will be a fast read, you you just will have to stop. You just have to stop. And it's almost like you have to like meditate on what you just read because it's so profound and so okay. si- so simply profound, if that makes sense. It totally does. I cannot wait. James, what is your favorite health hack? You know, um, I've resisted measurements. So like aura rings and stuff like that. Like I've resisted that kind of stuff, even weighing myself. I've resisted that stuff for so long. And, um, and I, I basically succumbed to it about, I guess, earlier this year. And I, and I really do now see the value in having markers, you know, having, having measurements for where I've come and where, and where I want to go. And, so I would say to those kind of tools, I think the aura, I think the aura ring is probably one of my favorites. Um, and I would say it's because it's focus is on sleep and sleep is, I know other podcasters you've spoken with, you know, mentioned sleep as well. It really is like the defining health hack, you know, like it's like everything is determined by my sleep, everything, the food choices I make the next day, how I treat people, how much, uh, how many things I can do in the day and how I handle those things, you know, the overwhelm or the stress level is all, it's all connected to sleep. So, uh, yeah, I, I would probably have to say, and that's why I say the aura ring, cause it really helps you measure your sleep so that you don't have to think about it and figure it out. So that every morning my wife and I say, so how did you sleep last night? And it's like, Oh, well, let me just go look at my aura ring. Like, I don't even have to like figure it out myself. I can just, I can just look at the aura ring and I can see the measurements. I can see where, when I woke up, I can see what my heart rate variance was. Like there's just so much data and, um, 
And usually, I love my aura ring. Yeah, right. I mean, usually it's completely in sync with what is true. Like sometimes the aura ring will say, "Yeah, you, you, you got this much sleep, but you're, you're, um, you're still, you know, you're, you're. I forget the. the you would probably remember like I the readiness the, score. Yeah. The readiness. Right. So my readiness score might be low. And actually when I see that, I'm like, yeah, actually I don't feel it's totally accurate. And so it's helpful. It's almost like it's, you know how I would, I would offer this one of the biggest things for everyone and not just entrepreneurs, but everyone is that we are really hard on ourselves. And I think it serves us in many ways, but I think in other ways it hinders us. And I think when you have a tool like an aura ring that just kind of tells you like, Hey, your readiness is low today. It kind of gives you that permission of like, you know, I think I'm going to be gentler to myself today. And I need that. I, I need that kind of reminder and that, that piece that lets me accept that maybe I need to be gentler today. It just gives me that, that nudge. It's so true. That is exactly, that was exactly my experience this morning. So I love that you, uh, that you acknowledge that. How would you define your purpose? It's definitely, it's, 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 I would define it as outside of myself. Um, I feel like I've been very, very fortunate. I mean, on so many levels, right. I'm a, I'm a white male in this world, um, that grew up in the U S I grew up in California. I mean, it's just reeks of privilege and, and luckiness. And so I, I feel like when I'm, I am at my best when I am serving others, when I'm helping and serving the community at large, because I just believe that's why I'm here on this planet. Um, and why I've been so fortunate in terms of the family I was born in, the color of my skin, the, the, my, my gender. I mean, not to say that anyone that is a different color or a different gender is not fortunate. I'm more just saying that in this society, white men have been way overprivileged and way, um, you know, that, that I have a certain role, but I, I have the, I have the ability to be different than what so many of these white men are doing. And, um, and, and to model to my, I have two daughters to model to my daughters, what's possible for a man and that I don't have to be disregard other people that I don't have to be hateful and spiteful that I don't have to take advantage of people like that. I, I get, I am, am lucky in where I am that I get to model what's possible and hopefully, um, support others in getting as much privilege as I get and have had. Amazing insight. And last question for you, James, entrepreneurism, are we born this way or do we learn to become entrepreneurs? Oh man. Yeah. That's, I love that question. I I've heard you ask it in your other podcast. And I love it. Um, I, I am going to stick to the middle. I actually believe that it's not something that, um, that is for everyone. Um, I think there are people that are leaders. And I think there are people that are followers. And I don't think that that is an issue. Like, I don't think we should be hard on ourselves for that. I think it's more about accepting what works for you because I find entrepreneurship to be inspiring and stressful. And for the person that doesn't see it as inspiring, it's going to just be incredibly stressful and it, and it's very, very hard. So, um, in that level, I think it's innate, but I do think that if I were to, like I said earlier, I didn't, I don't know the first thing about entrepreneurship. So everything that I'm learning is from doing and then from asking questions. And I would say that that, that is the biggest difference between how I'm running this current company of Pluck versus my old company of the food delivery is that I'm, I'm being 
I'm coming at it from a place of asking more questions. And, and really, when I say asking questions is, is asking for help and being really at a place of like, I don't know what I'm doing, even though I do know some, but I don't know everything. And this is a new arena. And so I'm just asking questions and I'm listening more instead of like, I know what I'm doing. I'm going to do it my way and just drudging through, muscling through. That's the word I would use is I, I used to muscle through everything. And now I'm just trying to make more strategic and smart decisions. I love that. I so appreciate your your insight, your story, the work that you're putting out into the world and pluck, which I'm going to order before the end of the day. James, where can we send people to learn more about all the things that you're up to? Yeah. So the uh, eat pluck, P-L-U-C-K is the what.com is the website to um, for the organ meat spice. Um, and you'll learn a lot about my story there. And, uh, and then um, you can find us on Instagram on at Eat Pluck as well. And my personal Instagram is, is Chef James Barry with an A-B-A-R-R-Y. James, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Well, that was fun, wasn't it? I found I found James' story so fascinating. And I wish I wish we had actually had video for all of you because you would have been able to watch the transition on my face where we went from first talking about uh, organ meat and my memory of my father who loves liver, cooking liver in our house, to really this epiphany around uh, what James has created with Pluck. And I wasn't joking. I did run out and order myself um, some Pluck to put on all of our food, on our popcorn, on all the things. I've been sharing those stories on Instagram and I want to give you the opportunity to do the same. If you head over to meganwalker.com forward slash podcast, you will see this latest episode uh, with James available. And in the show notes is a link for not only you to be able to access uh, Pluck for yourself, but you can access an amazing little discount um, courtesy of the Anthropology Podcast. We really do have an exciting lineup coming up over the next couple of weeks. I've been so impressed and excited by the quality and caliber of conversations that we have been sharing. And next week, I'm really excited to bring to you Dr. Trevor Cates. Trevor Cates is also known as the spa doctor. She's going to be providing all sorts of insight on how we care for our skin, not just in the summer, but how our skin really is a surrogate marker for our overall health. You are not going to want to miss that. If you're enjoying the conversations that we are having on the entrepreneur, Apology podcast, come hang out with your people. We are all congregating in a free Facebook group known as the Anthropology Collective, where we talk about increasing productivity in our lives and that confluence of mindset, entrepreneurship, and health. As always, I'm Megan Walker. I'm wishing you an impactful week ahead, and we will see you again here next week. 